Hey, I don't know how stupid that sounded, but I don't care at this point. Hi, and welcome back to Exhaling Words, the language podcast where I just talk and I hope you all listen. For those of you who have been living under a rock, we are now in June and it is Pride Month. And I want to spend this month doing a series of episodes and even one online live event later this month talking about being queer and being a language person. So I just want to sort of preface this all with like, these episodes are for queer people. Um, if you're not a queer person, you can listen by all means. I'm, I'm here for it. But I know that some people either make a comment about it, about, oh, I don't like that content, or they might not be happy with I don't know, about the way I word something or about how I talk about something. But at the end of the day, you are not the audience, boo-boo. And sorry. So if this isn't something you're really interested in listening to or whatnot, hit pause, hit stop. Join us back in July and we'll go back on to more, you know, dry things. But this month I want to talk about being queer and doing language stuff and um i'm gonna list these all as special episodes i have a new logo that hopefully you're seeing now with this uh with this episode uh made for you all by my lovely friend marissa who also if you didn't know made all my graphics and um will be doing a live with me and will be doing a guest spot on an episode later this month and so please stick around with that while we just sort of you know kiki and talk shit about language learning so I'm also, like, I'm really letting loose this month, so I'm also going to mark all these as explicit because I am bound to curse or say something slightly inappropriate. So, again, if you're not here for queer content, if you're not here for cursing, if you're not here for cultural references that apply to my former life, which will be explained in this episode, just, just, uh, I don't know why you're here at all then. Anyways, let's continue. Also, before I start this episode... I want to make a shout out to my friend Jacob. It is his birthday and he is a wonderful person and he is one of, I think, the biggest fans of the show. He pesters me every week when I post late and this week's episode is actually coming out a whole week late so he will be very upset but at least this portion of the episode I'm recording on his birthday so happy birthday, Jacob. And the other languages you speak, I don't speak. So happy birthday and shout out to you. Much love. Okay, now, let's get down to the dirty. Oh, my fellow queers, I hope you all are well, and I hope you all are living your best life, going out, being gay, doing crimes, you know, whatever it may be, for Pride Month. Um, I honestly am sort of hit or miss for Pride Month every year, and for, to be honest, like just a lot of stuff in our community. As you know, our community has a lot of internal issues and drama, and sometimes it's tiring. And honestly, it's just like, sometimes I don't want to deal. And you know what? That's fair. Like, let's let's be honest about it. That's fair. We have every right to. So there have been years in the past where I don't really participate in Pride. There have been years in the past where I'm, you know, really like doing fun stuff for Pride or like I go to Pride with friends. Last year, I was sort of like low key. I was dealing with a lot of other crap in my life. So I wasn't really thinking about it doing much. This year, I don't know why, but I just I really want to do something. I'm in an interesting part in my life where I'm sort of rediscovering myself. 
and I'm just really sort of living my truth, as cliche as that might sound. And so I really wanted to do a series of stuff just centered around us. Um, So I asked all y'all on Instagram what kind of stuff you'd want to hear. And so I have a couple topics um, that I've picked for the month that I think are kind of big topics that a lot of people talk about. And they're like, oh, can we talk about this? Like non-binary pronouns and um, non-binary language and other languages or things like how I work on Western Asia and I work in traditionally conservative sort of societies. And how do I, you know, handle that as a queer person? And a couple of other little things. And then, uh, yeah, later in the month, if you don't already follow Marissa, go check out Marissa um, on their Instagram at, uh, at Multilingual Marissa. They're wonderful. They do wonderful content. And she and I are going to be kicking live and kicking together during an episode later this month. And yeah. So today, this is week one of Pride. Well, I'm recording week one of Pride. By the time this launches, it'll be week two of Pride Month. But what do I want to talk about today? Oh, uh, other side note, this whole month is going to be much more relaxed and much less structured. So keep up. So what do I want to talk about today? Today, I want to talk about me in the least narcissistic way possible. (laughs) But yeah, I want to talk about me and my queer identity. um, Because I do think I think I'm pretty open about it. But I think a lot of people have not caught on or are not paying attention. And so I want to make sure I hit on that. And then I want to talk about a few things, sort of like my story and my queerness and my queerness and my language learning. Um, Some things about my queerness that I think relate to language learning. And ultimately, I do want to start to hit today on sort of this topic of how do we handle being a queer person and we're studying a language whose culture um, generally does not accept us or work well with us? And why should we do that? And how do we go about doing that? And, uh, you know, just see where this goes. So for those of you who don't know me again, my name is Aaron. Aaron was not my birth name. Aaron was a name that I chose for myself several years ago. And I was born biologically male. I was assigned male at birth, whatever sort of terminology you prefer to use. I'm not super picky about it. And I was raised as a boy. I knew very early on in my life that I was different. Both being somebody who was like, a, just for lack of a better phrase, a huge nerd. I was nerdy. I was bookish. I was artistic. I, you know, I did music and stuff. I was raised um, with three sisters and all my friends were always girls and I just was much more feminine. And um, my father did not take kindly to this. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I will, I will paint the picture lightly with a phrase just that my, my dad and I didn't get along well with all this. And, um, he was very upset that he finally had a son and the son was not what he wanted. And it was reminded uh, to me frequently, not that I wasn't loved, but that I was not acting in the way that boys were supposed to act. And I mean, this doesn't need to be therapy hour with Aaron where we discuss, you know, how I had to deal with internalizing my own sort of uh, misogyny and sort of self-loathing my own feminine Uh, qualities and whatnot, because this is, you know, stuff for my therapist to deal with. But this became sort of an important part of who I was. And then you throw on top of this, you know, like being on the autism spectrum and then getting into language stuff and dealing with being queer. Um, At the time, I just thought I was gay because 
I was boy and I was feminine and I liked boys, but obviously in a very religious upbringing, that wasn't okay. Um, it took me until I was an adult to really figure out that I was trans. And um, even that, it still took me time to sort of process all of this. You know, it was a slow sort of move from conservative, rural, raised, white, Christian boy to coming to terms with my sexuality to coming to be more accepting of my own femininity within my sexuality. Because even when I came out as gay, I had a lot of internalized um, sort of femphobia around, like, hyper-feminine gay men. And I didn't understand, like, what trans people were doing. Like, I was raised so conservatively that it just, it, it took a lot of unlearning for me to see a lot of the richness in our community um, and, and some of it I'm still sort of unlearning, even over the past few years, even after coming out as trans, I'm learning more about other gender identities and other sexualities and trying to open up my understanding and awareness to, to those that don't have the same experience as me. Like when I first came out as trans, I, I understood binary transness and like those of us who very much want to go from one of the two binary genders to the other one and the idea of non-binary people or genderqueer people or gender fluid people or you know all these sorts of terms that we have to describe to describe people i i sort of like understood in theory and i was like okay that's good and then i just kind of i was dealing with so much of my own shit that i just didn't want to deal with it and then i had a few bad run-ins with some people trying to judge my transness and my desire to live my life openly as the woman that i am and yeah, it's just, you know, life is a journey. We experience things with people and we have to unpack some of those things and grow and open our minds and um, sort of understand the experiences of others. And this applies not just to queerness, but to all things. So um, my upbringing really did sort of shape who I became, um, or at least the shit that I had to deal with to become who I am now. And, and yeah, so it's, it's interesting to sort of like go back and look at all of this and think about like how did I end up where I am and then you throw on top of that like what have I done professionally for the past what like 12 years or so and and in the language learning world for the past 16 years I you know trying to come to terms with my own sexuality while being on the internet and learning languages with a lot of other queer people like let's be honest there's a lot of queer people in our community in the language learning community and oh i should also put in a little footnote here i say queer it's it's a word that i like and i can explain later why um and that's why i use it uh if if it's not a word you like i i apologize but it's just it's a word that i use um so there were a lot of queer people in language learning and that really sort of made me feel comfortable there and then but even like coming out as trans i don't see as many trans people in language learning as i do like just um cis people who are queer in other ways. Um, although, again, I think some of that is changing generationally. Um, I think people of my generation weren't as open about their sexuality or about their gender identity, even on the internet. And so it wasn't so obvious or discussed sometimes, um, gender struggles and stuff. And I think that's something that's become much more comfortable in popular and in public discourse over the past maybe 10 years. Um, and so now I do see a lot more trans people of all, you know, sorts, whether it's non-binary people, um, or, you know, binary trans people, or any other sort of trans identity that someone might have, um, within our community now, and so, 
Um, it's definitely very much, I think, the language learning community can be very much an open place. And it's a place where a lot of us find refuge. And it's interesting because, like, this is something I used to get asked all the time when I had a Tumblr. And, like, people would be like, you know, have you ever noticed that there's a lot of gay men and just a lot of queer folk in the language learning community? Like, what is it with that? And I don't know if there's an answer. I do know that a friend of mine um, put forth a theory once, and I really liked it. And he said that queer people are so marginalized, and we often feel like we don't have a voice. And not just a voice in sort of like public discourse and a voice, you know, in what's going on um, wherever we live, but also sometimes we feel like we don't have a voice for ourselves. We see that there is minimal representation of people like us, and it makes it hard for us to want to speak openly and publicly, or many of us were raised in areas where our identities and our self-expression was oppressed or suppressed, and so we sort of ran off and hid in either it it sort of depends how you come to language learning but you either ran off and hid in a place where you could find your voice whether that voice was in different words and different languages or you sort of made a world for yourself and sometimes in that world of escape we found other worlds and so trying to escape my upbringing of a very conservative religiously fundamentalist Uh, household and and society that reading about faraway lands um, that I didn't think I'd ever get to travel to and reading about you know places like the UN where so many different people from different diverse backgrounds got to work together and there were these magical people called interpreters and translators that that facilitated that I looked at that and was like, that's everything that I have not had in my life and everything that I want. And part of that was because of the rural conservative sort of ethnically homogenous community that I grew up in. And part of that I think really is innately linked to my queerness in that because of not feeling at home and accepted in my own, in my own town and among my, my, my people that I grew up around, I felt like I needed to escape to somewhere else. And that escape for me was a place that was more accepting, whether that was diverse cultures or diverse genders and sexualities. Um, and, And for me, because I already had this sort of desire to understand language and the way people spoke and communicated because communication was so difficult for me. I think they just sort of melded really well together. And so this mix of, I want to understand how people talk to each other so easily because it is not easy for me as a neuroatypical person alongside of, I want to be in a place where everyone is loved and welcomed regardless of their, you know, skin color, their, racial or ethnic identities regardless of gender and sexuality regardless of socioeconomic status that I really just sort of escaped into whatever I could and for me that was the world of language learning and learning about other people's cultures and other people's histories and trying to understand how other people live and speak and share their lives Um, because all I wanted to do in some ways was escape my own. 
Now, there's a side of this that really gets quite personal. And for those of you who do follow me on Instagram, you know that several months ago I posted a post talking about how I was trying to step back and take a break from some of the languages that I've been working with um, unofficially. Not, I still have my job and I still work professionally with, uh, with multiple Western Asian languages. But I wanted to step back from this sort of furious study into Western and Central Asian languages and and sort of take time to really try to connect with my own background. It's one of those things that, to be honest, is kind of a struggle because it's very stereotypical of um, white Americans in the United States to sort of try to claim all of these backgrounds that we have. You know, it's it's a bad joke that some Becky somewhere will be like, well, well, I'm 132nd Cherokee and I'm 132nd Irish and and it's just kind of strange and it is it's weird and i've always sort of not wanted to be one of those people and i don't think i'm being one of those people but at the same time like becoming more comfortable with my transness and with my gender identity and my expression of my life um as well as finishing up my conversion process um into judaism and really sort of finding a community and a people for myself to call my own really made me think a lot about like what about the connections that I do have biologically? Not that biology is everything. You know, we talk a lot in the queer community about our chosen family. And I very much think about that in my life. You know, I was born biologically male and I knew that that wasn't the right path for me. And I knew that that's not what I felt in my soul and in my heart and in my mind. And I was born into a very religiously conservative family and I tried, believe me, I tried. I worked as a missionary. I went to therapy to not be gay. Like I tried hard to to throw myself into that life and it just still did not work for me. And the upbringing that I had focused so much on our religious identity that we didn't really have, you know, I never got these stories of like my my grandparents or my great-grandparents who spoke German at home or spoke you know, Scottish at home or something. We we were always sort of just American and we never questioned more than that. And our sole identity rested in our religion. And so when I left home and I lost my religious identity because of leaving the church, because of my sexuality and my gender, and then I lost, to a certain extent, some of the relationship with my own biological family because of my sexuality and my gender. I really felt lost. And I think this is a feeling that a lot of us have um, when we have sort of traumatic coming out experiences or when we're trying to come to terms with our own queer identities. And as I've sort of worked my way through my 20s and come to terms with my gender and my sexuality and come to terms with where I feel like I fit in a religious and spiritual and philosophical way, I felt like I wanted to reconnect to other parts of me. And so I've been taking a break from my, my, my self-study in a lot of Western and Central Asian languages. And I've been trying to focus on studying languages that feed my soul in a different way. So studying languages for religious purposes, like Hebrew and Aramaic, but then also studying languages that might help me sort of reconnect 
with my own biological family's history. And I kind of want to, you know, work on those. And I started working on Yiddish because of because of Judaism as well, at least Ashkenazi Judaism, um, or or at least, you know, like Ashkenazi Jewish culture. And and honestly, like there's so much good queer culture um, within sort of the Yiddishist community. There's good queer literature in the Yiddishist community that I'm discovering. And so getting to use languages to connect to another side of me rather than on a professional level has really been kind of a refreshing experience and it's made them feel less like work sometimes. Anyways, I I've, I've digressed at this point, but languages have always sort of intersected with my queerness, both because I think my queerness kind of spurred partially my desire to study languages, but then I think also because language is so language is so reflective of queerness sometimes you know i think on a very on a very basic level we talk about things like gender pronouns or you know just gender terms like man and woman or male or female or we get into questions of things like is secretary you know when it translates into a language it's more commonly translated into the feminine because of societal stereotypes about women being secretaries and you know all these sorts of things i think in addition to that we get into sort of the level of sociolinguistics and even like the way we speak um, for trans people i think this is very real because of how do we get our voices to pass in our desired gender whatever it may be i mean if you're if you want to be more non-binary you want to sort of shift your language and your voice to be more androgynous, let's say, and not sort of very obviously male or female, how do we do this? And when we're working with languages with gender, that's a very, again, simple way to do that. So, you know, when I transitioned and began living my life as a woman, I just switched to using feminine adjectives everywhere. You know, that's just part of my experience. But some people might feel more comfortable with a gender-neutral form. Um, and so trying to find gender-neutral language within um, a foreign language that you're studying. And that's something I want to get into probably next week. But it's not just that. It's things like, you know, because I now live my life as a woman, you know, I'm a woman of trans experience. This is a phrase that I've picked up over the last couple months that I really like. And so I don't... I'm very open about my transness, but it's not something I, I feel the need to share or advertise to everyone. And so how do I change my language to read as more feminine? Obviously, there's my voice. My voice is quite deep, although some women have more deep voices. Um, but it's not just about my voice. It's about speech patterns. It's about cadence. It's about word choice. You know, when I start an episode and I breathe and I go, hey, that is something that's associated with gay male culture, you know, like, and there are phrases that I can use that are going to be associated with drag culture, which is part of gay male culture. Um, and then, I mean, honestly, if we're being like really real about this, like so many phrases and terms that are now associated with traditionally white gay male culture actually come from black culture and they've sort of either seeped in through like uh drag queens of color or through just you know uh 
white men be them straight or gay like to take things and appropriate things um and so recognizing sort of where all this language comes from that's i mean that's we could totally do a whole episode on that i'm sure which would be fascinating um but but sometimes the language and the terminology that i use is language and terminology that comes from gay male culture um or a lot of my cultural references come from gay male culture because that's the life that i lived the longest so far you know, I think this is something that we don't address often as trans people is that while I may feel like I was a woman my whole life, that I had a feminine soul and that I was deep inside of me a woman, I lived my life as a man. That's what it was. I mean, had you asked me when I was 20, 21, 22, like I was a gay man. And at the beginning, if we keep in mind the fact that that I had a lot of misogyny instilled into me because of my upbringing, you know, and I was very femphobic. Like I was one of those gay men at one point in my life where it was, I, I'm a man who likes men. I don't, you know, want to be with a feminine man. I am not a feminine man. Although I, I really was, but I just didn't want to admit it. And I tried to be butch as much as possible, <laughs> which is really awkward now to think about, you know, when I would wear backwards baseball caps and try to grow out my facial hair, it's, it's almost obscene. Um, wow, this just got really personal. Anyways, um, you know, a lot of my speech patterns and the terms that I use and things when I'm speaking sort of very casually with friends, especially with queer friends, do read as gay man. And, you know, the response to that, I don't know. I don't really know what it is, whether it's do I stop using them because now I live my life as a woman and I have to live and act and, and speak in the ways of what is thought to be womanly. Do we seek to break the binary and to destroy the concept of gender and say, well, I get to talk, you know, however the fuck I please because that's how I talk and you have to deal with that. And honestly, I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, I think the philosophically right answer is that language doesn't need to be gendered and we should just say screw it and I get to talk the way I want. But unfortunately, like, we live in a society. <laughs> Thank you, ContraPoints. We live in a society. Um, we live in a society where my language is going to be read a certain way. Whether or not I see my language as gendered, it comes off as gendered to others. And so if I also want my gender to be perceived a certain way i have to do something to to put forth that obviously if i say it to somebody you know i introduce myself to somebody i give my pronouns or i say that i'm a woman or whatever it's their due diligence as a human being that respects others to respect me enough to address me as a woman to use the appropriate pronouns of course but if i'm just talking to somebody on the street and I'm like, hi, and whatever, like, but I walk up to them like, hey, what's up, dude? I'm not expecting them to look at me and be like, yes, ma'am, how are you? Like, you know, that, that would be almost jarring in a way. And so using my language in a way that sort of subconsciously expresses to the person I'm speaking to that I am a woman and I need to be addressed as such. That is a feature of language. This is part of language and language learning. And this is why I say when I have queer students who want to discuss these things, like, this isn't just about word choice and gender. This is about every way that we use language. This is about our cadence. This is about jokes. This is about 
about registers of speech if we're dealing with you know a language that has them like let's say korean or japanese that if i want to be read as woman in a very traditional sense and not as somebody who's trying to sort of fuck with language and change how we perceive gender i should be speaking in this way when i'm speaking to other women i should be speaking in this way when i'm speaking to men and sometimes i think that like this is part of the struggle with trans people in that okay yes do i have a somewhat deeper voice yes i do facts of life here let's be honest but it's not just about the depth of my voice. You know, there are plenty of cis women who have deep voices. It's about how do I hold my voice? How, what is the actual resonance around my voice, which is different from the actual tone and the depth um, and the pitch of my voice. It's about cadence and word choice and all sorts of sort of secondary triggers that tell the other interlocutor that, I am a woman. At the same time, this is also where we as queer people love to fuck with gender. And some of it I don't think we do on purpose. I mean, this is such a huge part of, like, gay male culture. And, I mean, I never really, like, spent a lot of time in, in, in gay women culture. Um, but I know, like, in gay male culture, like, this is a huge thing. is the fact that, you know, do you speak in a more stereotypically feminine way do we use these words has this caused issues in the mainstream world yes or in the cishet world yes you know people use these sorts of things to point us out and to other us and then to in some situations attack us but this is part of our culture as well as playing with gender in a very purposeful way and this is something that's always been around. This isn't just sort of, and this isn't just sort of a more recent thing as non-binary gender um, has become more and more uh, accepted and, you know, more and more people want to play with that. This is, you know, this is drag culture. This is ballroom culture. This is, you know, these are things that have been around for decades. And so screwing around with gender and playing with these things is very much sort of one of the fundamental features of at least, let's say, American queer culture. Now, I realize I've sort of gotten on a rant here, and one of the things that I really did want to talk about today is, in my experience, and, you know, to a certain extent, in the experience of others, and also how would I give advice to others, how has being a queer person affected my language learning? Now, there are a myriad of ways that I could address this in terms of my personal experience as a queer person living, you know, in certain countries or in certain environments, or, you know, just like sort of anecdotally what are experiences that I've had where queerness has interacted with my language learning. But the place where this really becomes like a popular topic for me when I interact with other language learners is I often get asked like, how do we handle wanting to learn a language whose culture or the government of the countries where it is spoken are not receptive or supportive of or open to queer people? And I think that I personally get this a lot because my language learning background is mostly in Western Asia, in you know what's traditionally known as the uh, Arabic-speaking world, as the Arab world. 
um, on in the Islamic world or the Islamic kit world, depending on what time period we're talking about. You know, I work on countries where being queer has not traditionally been the most accepted thing. And in addition to that, I've also studied other languages where being queer hasn't been super, super, you know, well received. For example, like Russian. I've done several years of Russian. I've used Russian. I lived in Georgia and spoke Russian in Georgia. And, you know, the Russian government does not have a great history with queer people. Um, the You know, a lot of Arab countries, um, Iran, Afghanistan, like these countries that I have dedicated years and years of my life to studying their histories and their languages, they do not have great histories with queer people. And so I think a lot of times I get asked, like, as a trans woman and as somebody who, you know, when I lived abroad, I lived as a gay man, how do I struggle or work around being queer and 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 interacting with these languages, with their speakers, with, you know, um, host governments and, and so on and so forth? The first thing I always like to say is, I understand how this is a struggle. I, I, I truly want to recognize that. For me, it's never been because I'm very much sort of a, if I'm interested in something, I'm going to do it. And if I'm not, I'm not. You know, and I don't care if people don't accept me or people don't like me. You know, that was, I mean, hell, that was my upbringing. Like, I lived in a town and I spent years of my life even personally loathing who I was because of the way I was raised. So the idea of, oh, that government isn't going to like me because I'm a trans woman, like, okay, fuck off. Like, I'm, I'm still going to learn this language. But that's me. But I, as a queer person, can empathize with the feelings that how do we interact in a respectful way? And how do we be eager language learners who want to learn about culture and history and interact with native speakers when these countries or when even sort of these cultures and the speakers of these languages are not accepting of us for who we are? And that is, that's hard. I, I fully recognize that. But the first thing I always say back to that is, one, if you want to learn a language, you should learn it period and at you know end of discussion if you want to learn russian learn russian there are plenty of places to use russian without having to go to russia okay same thing with arabic same thing with persian there are plenty of speakers in diaspora there are plenty of people on the internet that you can interact with without having to go to these countries and interact with governments that you are afraid of or that you take issue with because of the way they handle queer folk in their countries. And you're totally, you know, you you have every right to take issue with it. But keep in mind that that there are places to use these languages outside of those specific countries. Similarly, please remember that a, a government does not represent a people. Okay? And in, in the same way, a religious belief, a single religious belief does not represent one, all adherents to that religion or all practitioners of that religion. And two, it does not represent all the speakers of that language. So if you have an issue with the Russian government, if you have an issue 
with the Saudi government or with the Iranian government and the way that they treat queer people. That's fine. But just because those governments are not accepting of you or of us does not mean that all speakers of Arabic or Persian or Russian will not be accepting of us. Yes, there are bound to be people who are not accepting of us. But hell, there are native English speakers who are not accepting of us. My own family was not accepting of me. You know, this is just, this is part of the queer experience and the queer struggle. Not everybody is going to like us. And more so than, you know, cishet people. I realize cishet people might be listening right there and like, well, not everybody likes me. No, you're right. Not everybody likes you. But it's probably in a much lower proportion to how many people do not like queer folk. <laughs> Let's just be honest here. Similarly, I know a lot of people worry about things like, you know, people jump straight to like, well, Islam isn't accepting of homosexuals or Islam isn't accepting of queer people. You know what? Like, look, let's be honest. If we're going to read religious texts, Islam is not accepting of queer people. Christianity is not accepting of queer people. Judaism is not accepting of queer people. Like, if we are just going to read religious texts on their very simplest meaning, what is literally written there, none of those three religions accept queer people. And to be honest, a lot of other religions don't either. It's not just those three Abrahamic religions. It's a lot of religions. But again, just because Christianity does not accept queer folk does not mean that all Christians do not accept queer folk. Just because Islam does not accept queer folk does not, leave, does not mean that all Muslims accept queer folk, and so on and so forth. Expanding beyond that, please remember that a religion does not reflect an entire culture and an entire people. Not all Arabic speakers are Muslims. Not all Arabic speakers are, I mean, just Arabic speakers aren't a monolith, okay? So even if you said not all Arabic speakers are Muslims, but they have a lot of Christians, Christians don't accept, uh, you know, queer, queer folk. I know Arab Christians who are fully accepting of who I am. I know Arab Muslims who are fully accepting of I am. I know Arab atheists who are fully accepting of I am, of who I am. You know, again, a single religion does not reflect a single people group or a single linguistic group. Please, please keep in mind sort of the diversity there. That's, that's the simplest part. That's my very first sort of step is please remember that just because you take issue with a country or you take issue with the way a, a religion teaches about queer people or whatever it may be does not mean that all people who live in that country or all people that adhere to that religion or all people that speak that language reflect all of those beliefs, number one. Number two, queer people are everywhere. Just think about that. Think about you and your experience as a queer person who's listening to this. How many queer people have you come across on Facebook or Instagram or Tumblr or Twitter or whatever it may be or a dating website? How many queer people have you come across while language learning? And I'm not just talking about like white American queer folk who are out learning other languages like myself. How many queer people have you come across who are native speakers of target languages that you're interested in? If it's zero, chances are you're not looking in the right places or you're not looking hard enough. Because if there's anything I've learned in my 30 years 
and much of that time, you know, living as a queer person and much of that time living as a queer closeted person existing solely on the internet, we are everywhere. And just as much as each one of us have our own stories to share, so does everyone else. I cannot tell you the number of queer folk that I have come across who are native speakers of the languages that I study. There is queer culture wherever you go. I lived in Jordan. Some of the first people I met outside of the people in my program were gay guys that I met through Tumblr that came across my blog of me blogging about being gay and being in Jordan and all this stuff. And one guy came across it and he introduced me to his boyfriend and then he took me out to an entire gay bar. And it was just like, it was amazing because I had all these preconceptions going in going like, okay, I'm moving to Jordan. I have to sort of hide everything. I took out all my piercings. I had like six or seven piercings at the time, including a belly button ring. I took them all out. You know, I didn't bring any makeup with me. I didn't wear a lot of makeup at the time, but I, I made sure to try and blend in as a cishet man because that's what I thought I needed to do to be safe. And honestly, that's what I was told to do to be safe. Like, my residence director told me, like, you know, I my, my passport photos had earrings in and stuff. And she asked me when I was there, she was like, did you take them out? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, okay, good. Because, you know, you might get some questions about that. But then here I was, like, I made a gay friend and I was like, yes, gay people. And then he took me to this, it wasn't even a bar. It was really like, it's a cafe. It has a bar in it, whatever. And... It's just filled with gay men. It wasn't like a club like I was used to going to. It was people at tables, smoking hookah, hanging out. But it was, and and it felt like going to a, you know, like, a, I, again, it wasn't a club, but like, it felt like going to a gay bar here in the U.S. Like, there were men who were super femme, there were men who were super butch. There were all sorts of queer men living their lives comfortably. Now, I realize that that place where we were was a refuge for them, that they could not, many of them could not openly live their life this way outside of that bar, but they were still there. And that wasn't the only place I encountered people. I met people online, you know, again, like through social media and stuff. I had a teacher who was gay, just so happened. You know, it's just... These things, like, you come across people. When I went to Armenia, same thing. Met several gay guys, hung out, went to bars, you know, like, just meeting people. And again, most of this is done through the internet. Because you do have to be more hesitant about being openly queer in these countries. But that doesn't mean that queer people and queer culture doesn't exist. And that's the caveat I will put to all of this, is that there is still the requirement of safety. You know, if you go to Iran, I have queer Iranian friends that go back to Iran, and they'll tell me, like, you know, yes, there are plenty of gay people in Iran. We hang out. We, like, have little parties at people's house and whatever. It doesn't mean that they're running out into the streets of Tehran and trying to have pride. You know, they recognize that in order for them to survive and maybe one day live their lives openly, whether that's in a reformed Iran or whether that's outside of Iran 
they recognize that they have to live and act a certain way in order to protect themselves and maintain their safety. And you, as an outsider traveling to these places, also need to do the same. You do have to protect yourself and you do have to maintain your safety. But that does not mean that you are alone. That does not mean that other queer folk don't exist. And just as much as we appreciate our own queer culture and we see our beauty and the art that we make and the culture that we've produced, so are queer people in other countries and speaking other languages. They're producing art. They're producing culture. You know, a lot of the queer people that I've met while traveling abroad are artists, are graphic designers, are musicians, are teachers, are writers, are poets. You know, they're out here creating art and creating their own subculture within their countries and in their own languages that we as queer folk also get to be a part of and also get to experience with them. And that is an amazing and a beautiful thing. And it's through studying languages that we get to take part in their stories and receive their stories and even interact with and possibly be a part of their stories. So for me, it just feels very short-sighted to be like, oh, well, Russia doesn't like gay guys, and so I'm not going to Russia, and I'm not going to study Russian. I mean, at the end of the day, if that's how you feel, fine. But I also think that you're missing out. I really do. I realize that safety is a concern. I realize that we have fears. I realize that we have to take all these things into consideration. But that's also not new for us. This is part of queer experience, is that we have to consider our safety. You know, even now, as a trans person, and I pass, you know, I know it's not a comfortable term and we don't like using and talking about it, but it is a reality of our existence. But like, I can walk into a women's restroom and nobody gives me a hard time. I'm still nervous. It's just a part of life. And eventually that nervousness will go. You know, I I still, I get on airplanes and I worry that going through TSA, I'm going to you know, face some sort of discrimination. I am hesitant about traveling abroad for the same reasons. All my documentation says female. I'm not worried about the legality of it. But I'm worried about, you know, I don't wear a lot of makeup on airplanes and I haven't had a lot of surgeries or anything. So yes, I get it. We have these fears and we do have to consider our safety. But think about the beauty of our own queer culture that we get to create and live every day. And know that that exists in other languages. And just, I, I just, I, I think about that and I go, no, I want to experience that. And it's funny because even in places where I don't expect it, I experience that. I started working on Yiddish because of my journey with Judaism and wanting to connect more with, you know, European Jewish tradition, with specifically Ashkenazi and Eastern and Central European Jewish traditions. And one of the first things I come across is a trans woman native speaker of Yiddish who writes poetry and she's out here on the internet sharing like other queer Yiddish writers and I'm like I, I, I didn't expect to find this I expected to read like some interesting histories and you know first-hand accounts of living in Europe as a Jew like but no like this is the first one of the first things I come across is queer Yiddish literature we are everywhere we are everywhere y'all so why should we think that that just because a specific government or 
a specific conservative religious group doesn't like us means that we shouldn't get to explore other aspects of that language's culture and history. All of that is there. And our own siblings and queer folk around the whole world are doing the same things that we're doing. And so what better way to take part in that and interact with them than through language and through language learning? I don't know how many great queer people I have met on Instagram over the past several years. And some of it is, you know, you know, cis gay guys and that's normal. You know, I was a cis gay guy for a while or until I realized that I was trans. And and, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> no offense, guys. I, I love you all. But there are a lot of y'all. But over the past several years, I've come across so many great queer women, so many great queer non-binary people, so many great queer trans people that I didn't realize existed until I started putting myself out there as a queer person in language learning. And I've made so many amazing friends. And so, I don't know, now I just feel like I'm just, I'm just getting sappy with you all. But I really kind of want to work on some of that this year is... You know, I'm going to talk about a few more topics this month, and Marissa and I are going to get online and kiki together in a live and and in an episode for y'all, and we're going to talk about being queer and language learning. But I also want you all to connect. I also want us to see what else is out there, so I'm going to make my best effort to do some more posts about connecting with queer people in our target languages and you know, within the language learning community. So watch out for that. And uh, hopefully that'll be coming. And yeah, I don't really know how to end this. So I'm just going to go back to my usual stuff. As always, if you have any thoughts about what I talked about today, any questions or comments or something you want to share with me, please, by all means, reach out. My name is Polyglot Aaron, P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-E-R-I-N at gmail.com and on all major social media. And again, happy Pride, y'all. I'm looking forward to the rest of the episodes this month and some of the things we'll be doing throughout the month for y'all. And yeah, let's be proud. And let's go learn some languages, bitches. Bye. <laughs>